afternoon, everyone. Hope you're good. Welcome back to Chewing It Over. I'm still Jack Chew. and coming to you weekdays, 12.30 till 1 o'clock, except on Tuesdays. You've all been noticing now it's been a few months whereby you've had a guest host on Tuesdays. And thank you for, I think maybe not every week, but fortnightly I get messages, both public and private, saying, why do you have to do most of the shows? Your guest hosts are better than you, Chew. Get off the stage. And I know you're right. It doesn't make it any less hurtful, though, of course. But no, I enjoy it. And I enjoy the fact that that is a compliment to my brilliant guest host. Leanne was on yesterday. Her first solo show, you might have noticed, and she smashed it. It was brilliant and um, very funny because I nearly just put my, I've got my little name tag on there because we've got a guest on today. And I nearly just masqueraded as Leanne. So maybe I need to sort of bask in her glory a little bit. And when she does a show like yesterday's, maybe I, I will uh, come on, come to you and pretend to be Leanne for a bit. Um, so without further ado, I want to bring you my... My guest who's on today, you'll have seen in the titles and in the description for today's show that Gita Ramdari is speaking with me today about the culture of physiotherapy and, well, culture and physiotherapy. I've titled it like that on purpose, and you'll notice in the description that it was almost when I'm writing it, I'm trying to be thoughtful and think that some of Gita's work on this has been speaking about the culture of physiotherapy, and there's a distinction from the way in which culture influences, or in this case, should influence physiotherapy sometimes more than it does she's written a brilliant blog on this recently uh, in prep for this as well as the fact that it's been long awaited so we've been hoping to get her on the show for a little while so i'm glad to hopefully in the click of a couple of buttons bring you gita gita can you hear me i can yes fantastic well thank you so much for joining me could you just introduce yourself first and foremost to the listeners sure so um i'm a physio i've been a physio for 26 years and I'm currently working as a consultant and I'm health professional at the National Hospital for Neurology and Neurosurgery. I sort of have a clinical academic role because I'm an um, associate professor at UCL as well, an honorary um, position. That's where I do research. So a bit, bit of a mix. And I've been an educator for 11 years as well at St George's. So um, some of my reflections come from that experience as well. And I think that that, that's, uh, that certainly came through in your writing as well as some of the social commentary that I've experienced on Twitter before you wrote the, the blog, is that you, you're someone that wearing many hats professionally, but also you've been open about the fact that wearing many hats personally within your own identity has helped to influence your yeah. take on some of these matters. So if you just tell us a little bit about that and what, what's made you feel you want to speak to some of these issues more recently. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I was brought up in the UK um, daughter of immigrant parents so I'm, I'm actually mixed heritage my mom's Irish but my dad's from Mauritius but originally of, of um, Indian heritage so you know I've grown up in this country um, and so and I trained at um, UEL back in 1991 was when I started and we were one of the more diverse courses at the time and when I talk diversity it means there were five men on the course out of 52 um, and I think there were five or six of us who were from um, black Asian minority ethnic backgrounds as well um, so you know I've, I've, I've been uh, I've, I've observed things along my 26 years um, and and I think it, sometimes I haven't always recognized particularly early on and I was younger and also I think these things weren't spoken about so much then um, I didn't always make sense of it, but I, I suppose I've got many years now to reflect back upon. And also with my academic interest as well, you know, exploring things a little bit more. Um, you, you can never quite leave things alone as an academic. You're always trying to, trying to get to the root of things. Um, and also for me as well, uh, I got involved with the CSP Bain Network um, about, oh, about three, four years ago now. And then, of course, we've had a 
tumultuous year um, since the murder of George Floyd and how it's made us examine ourselves as individuals but on a, and as institutions as well. And I know the CSP is going through a lot of evolution with that too. Um, so, so that was where it started to, to come from. Where it, I originally started to think about this way before then was when I was teaching at St George's. Um, we used to teach a module uh, in, to the first years, the medics, physios, nurses, and one big thing around culture. It was quite dry, and I remember you know, we gave lots of definitions of culture, and uh, and you could see there were two, three hundred students, and they were all either texting or you know falling asleep. So it it, it was a little bit unsatisfactory. Years later, um, I was teaching on an MSc module and there was it was one uh, we did on um, culture sport and exercise and that's when I started to explore actually um, the culture of institutions sporting institutions which was very interesting and how um, things like ethnicity gender sexual orientation were viewed from certain institutions and that was kind of when it first started when I first started to read around but then left it for a while but had come back to it since last year and I think, like you say, it's been it's been such an interesting and tumultuous was I think the word you used, which is a great one for the year that's been, especially with regards to some of the sort of racial awareness, particularly, but also you know the intersectional analysis that's been applied to pretty much yeah. everything. And your blog speaks to a couple of examples that kind of offer this crossover where and it's really lit the touch paper and quite rightly gone what we could consider uh, viral in terms of physio circles and healthcare circles in, in many ways recently and it's only a week old or so so i'm sure it'll go further but it's just that, that i i would just say we just briefly spoke before we went on air about the fact that one of the reasons i think it has is that there's often various proxies that get used but really someone hasn't spoken directly to some of the cultural examples like you weren't shy to bring forward some examples that you've experienced and and i think one of the things i wanted to talk to you about really is that what do you feel can we start maybe on sort of culture of physiotherapy as if distinct from even though we know it's not from sort of the ways in which culture should or does influence physio but i just wondered what what you see as being interesting about the culture of physiotherapy as you describe yeah it. It's sort of professional cultures, and and each profession will probably have, you know, will have their own culture, and it's probably been explored in more depth in in others. But if some of the definitions I put on the blog, and there are many out there, but but one of them is about it, it talks about cultivated behaviour, um, and cultivated experience, which is learnt through social learning, and and of course when I reflect right back to my training days, and also training others, other physios as well. A lot of that learning that goes on isn't just your anatomy, your physiology, your techniques or whatever. It's also about wearing the physio identity, having having that as your as your little banner. It becomes part of our identity, doesn't it? But mm. but it, we in a way, for, it, we, we're expected to behave or be a certain way in order to, to own that. And um, I, when I first started looking at it, there was a, a great paper by um, Meryl Norris at um, at Brunel and Pascal Alate, where they, they looked at this and what they were talking about there was, was a, to do with our training. We still have very much biomedical emphasis on our training and, and, and that continues into if we're working in NHS institutions in particular, so certainly a lot of our institutions, we bring in the biopsychosocial and sort of humanism with it into some of our AHE professions a little more perhaps. 
Um, uh, but it's it, but it's through that learning and how we're socialized to be become physiotherapists through our training. That's what Mariel and Pascal talk about in their paper. And I certainly reflected and thought, yes, I can see that happens. What I talk about in the blog as well is that as a very junior physician, this is back in 1995 when I first qualified. Um, and even before that, as a student, I assimilated. So uh, it's, it's complex for me. I'm of mixed heritage, but people see me and see Asian and they see my name and Asian. So I'm racialized as Asian. I identify as Asian and I identify as mixed. That's okay because it's, it's where people put me in a box and I, but I'm comfortable with that. Um, there's lots of tick boxing, as we know, with, with how we identify. Um, and so, um, and I realized that I was able to socialize more with my peers when I lost some of my Asianness, if you see what I mean. So, as a junior physio, and then I cut my hair very short, and then there's lots of pubs going and that sort of thing. Um, but for me, that wasn't so much of a problem because my family are Hindu. You can, you, alcohol is pro prohibited, and but there are still, you know, there are still elements of, of our culture um, that are, are I suppressed. I think, um, and it's only as I've got older and a lot more confident as a person, and um, that I've brought a lot of that element back in sort of how I dress and how I identify and that sort of thing. But um, it, it, and that assimilation, so it's not that assimilating into the dominant culture is not inclusion. It's it's giving yourself over to the dominant culture, and you know, and that culture was about belonging in that physio department, being being part of the profession, being identified as a physio, not sticking out. And you know what it's like when we're youngsters. You know, we just want to belong. We want to be part of the the, the group, and because that gives us a sense of belonging. But it was at the expense of who I was. Um, so that's that's where I, I think I was starting to become aware of the culture of the profession. And then it was also observations to do with interactions with patients, um, which I also reflect on um, a couple of instances there. One I, I didn't um, put in the blog, but one that very much sticks in my mind, where I, I had a bit of a light bulb moment as a, um, as a senior two physio. And we were we were very lucky to have a lecture and in service from the brilliant Mick Thacker, who is fantastic. And he, at that time, and this was in the late 90s, was already starting to push the language on pain. Um, and he was saying, you know, you have to understand that in different cultures, different ethnic groups, different languages, there are many different um, words for pain. And I heard some slight, you know, rustling next to me and some of my colleagues and I, I overheard a couple of times which they went huh, well that figures um and and also I remember you know I've mainly worked in, in London and, and the label that was given to, to patients of the normal for tooting at St George's and normal for Camberwell when I worked yeah. at King's what did those people look like we all know what those people look like and it, that realization when I heard this comment I was really hurt actually because it suddenly occurred to me I've got my two grandmothers at the time, sadly not with us anymore. One of them is my Mauritian grandmother in a sari, and my other one is my blonde Irish grandmother, would have been very treated very differently by my colleagues who were sat just next to me. Mm. So that was a bit of a light bulb moment, and, and, and that was just, there was no challenge to that. It was just, and I was not confident of my time to be able to challenge, but it's something that sticks with me as, as a pivotal moment. Um, in, in my understanding of the profession. And so that, that othering that you experienced there of, of distancing you knew 
for for arbitrary reasons from what would be known culture do you see that as being something that is societally inherent or that there's something distinct about physiotherapy or in healthcare or whatever it is within that tiering system that that is that is influencing that negatively I think what's been interesting with the blog is that I've, it's become apparent it's not just physiotherapy. There's been quite a few dietitians have commented and other and OTs and other AHPs um, and a couple of nurses as well. So I don't think it is. But of course, my perspective comes from a physiotherapy because that's the mm. profession I know. I know best. Um, and I haven't looked at the, the literature and the other professions, to, to be fair. Um, so it, I suspect it isn't. And, and also physiotherapy. I mean, I work in the you NHS. Know, chess um but i've worked in universities as well um we sit within a, a, an institutional culture so it's also what the institution's expectations are of us and how we behave and interact and also the patients who access our services which is another thing that i, I find very interesting in terms of what I've, I've put a diagram in the blog of what constitutes a good patient or who are the people who are seen as being uncooperative no rehab potential, you know, it, it, it's, it, again, it, it's, it's where we are letting certain groups down because we are not taking the time to be able to, to have the cultural literacy or the cultural competence. I don't like that word. I don't know why, but I don't. But the cultural literacy to try and understand why somebody may need another approach to be able to engage with us. Yeah, I think that, 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 stuff, that stuff definitely... That, uh, yeah, call, call it what you will, call, cultural literacy, cultural competence, just generalised awareness of what other features affecting someone's personhood might be contributing to your interactions, and also not to neutralise yourself in that, right? That's the, sometimes that, what, what came through really strongly in your blog is this notion that sometimes, because just because it's the water in which we swim, and therefore sometimes we might not notice it, there's, there's something implicit to an existence cultural baggage, shall we say, not a, not a good term from me, but if, if, if you're interacting with someone, there's not there's not something cultural going on there, and yet here I am, neutral objective. That's something that we should have matured, and most therapists, especially my audience, you can imagine, I'm, I'm going to bias it and say that they're more thoughtful in terms of at least the way in which we now come at things to try to elicit a thorough narrative. And to also know what you're bringing to that, and to have it more conversational rather than it being like the sort of uh, the, the the more obvious power dynamic of, of of the subservience of a patient coming with their hand out, hopefully hoping for some care delivered to them. You know, it's more cooperative. But sometimes those those cultural features are difficult to sometimes weave in there. I asked Melrose Stewart when she came on Physio Matters not long after the George Floyd murder. Yeah. And I asked her about whether she sees this as being our, and it's not easy to differentiate, I guess, but it was like, is this our our corner of the wider social issue? Or is there something quite unique, or a unique version of it that is that is inherent to physiotherapy? And I struggle to maybe know, you know reading your blog, I struggle to know your, your, your take on it. It's, it's, it's multi-layered, isn't it? And it, it, there is, there is, an individual response. So it's like I say, you know, you have everybody has their individual culture based on how they're brought up, how they're socialised, their education, etc. So there's that element. There's the, the professional element in terms of how we're educated to inform that development of the person. 
But then there were the, the bigger cogs as well. Um, and this is what people have been talking about in terms of structural issues um, and institutional issues. And then, of course, there's been big discussions about institutional racism and whether or not it actually exists. Interesting. Um, and um, and so I think it is it is multi-layered. So so coming at it just from one lens isn't correct. I think we have to be able to appreciate the bigger picture. And I think but that's hard for us as individuals because you know we're all the will many of us will, will want change in that we're we're very responsible in how we have our individual interactions, but they're still sitting within um, a, you know a profession where we, we still don't have the best diversity statistics. It's it's getting better, but it's it's a bit of a, a slow um, process. Um, and, and perhaps in institutions where we, we're seeing glass ceilings for people over band eight, and in, if you think about the NHS, the W res figures are quite damning. And so we're still within that 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 um, that context um, of, of of a bigger structural issue. Um, it, 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 it's interesting actually because this month. Um, I don't know if you've seen the Journal of Humanities and Rehabilitation. It's quite an interesting uh, American journal, um, and there's there's a um, very interesting qualitative piece in Canada looking at the experience of, of um, Black and ethnic minority students. Not unlike the one that was done by John Hammond and the team and, and Mariel again um, a few years ago. And it, the, one of the reviewers, guy called Brian McCandy, commented here, and he makes it this the states that that even though we, we're trying to understand individual experiences, the structure of physio, well, as physical therapy as he puts, but the structure of physiotherapy community or practice is, is not often examined itself. We would look at individual experiences and what in, an individual's behavior, um, but actually what are we doing as a profession? What is it about the actual community? That's where some of the responses to the, the tweet and the blog have been very, interesting because there's been quite a few educators have actually come in and said yeah we're looking at this actually we recognize there needs to be some um so so more inclusion of not just non-white uh, of, of non-white bodies and um i mean electrotherapy I'm, yeah, I'm old enough that we did electrotherapy of the, of the most barbaric kind when i was training um but i remember then when they were talking about erythema i was thinking but how would you recognize erythema on my dad's skin my dad is very dark skinned um, and there was no reference point for that. And and um, and even when I asked them, you know, what would you be looking for on a person with a dark skin colour? Um, and they weren't able to to answer that. I mean, hopefully we're not doing infrared and things on people anymore. But uh, but but that that's that's another example I think where and it also I, I make the, only a brief point because I think it's a whole other area to look at is actually um, not, is the heteronormative dominance as well in our in our um, teaching and training, which I think is now being challenged by um, some great um, uh, advocates for uh, looking at transgender health. So that, that again, hopefully the time is turning there as well. I think um, a, what's interesting then, sorry to talk over you, I think there's a slight yeah, yeah. delay, I didn't mean to do that. Um, the um, modalities change, certainly, you know, you mentioned electrotherapy and stuff, but then also we, when we were doing injection therapy, you know, understanding the higher there's a risk of discoloration on superficial injections full stop but the consequence of that on darker skinned people is going to be far more significant and therefore you know something that needs to be considered and and that not having a mature conversation about those things then you know both with the patient but also as we come to understand it and therefore the 
you know, importance of good technique and all the things that can help to try to mitigate those things as far as we can understand the mechanisms. You know, that, that's, that's important. And I think we, we, I encountered it a little bit as well recently. We, we did a, an event, Therapy Live, we did pelvic health and, and some, mm. of the, some of the cultural competency um, issues that surround that with regards to the, you know, just the, the, the color of bodies in textbooks and the, the consequences and sequelae in the medical professions. It was just a fascinating thing and we're, we're, we're midwives on. And I think that whilst we try to aspire to, to better ourselves on this, I think what I find is that the analysis, we can draw on statistics, we draw on whatever the evidence can bring, lived experiences as, as, as experienced by anyone that wants to th you know, bring in that subjective element as well as then, of course, you know, they're not distinct. It's not got the, the data here and the lived experience here, of course. We've got this melting pot of evidence that emerges. I think that sometimes where the contentions lie is then what, what to do about said findings. And one of the things I wanted to bring with you is that the examples that you used, and you mentioned it earlier as well, with regards to, let's just pick, pick one of them, and there's many, and I encourage people to not use this as a proxy for the blog, go and read the blog. But you'd mentioned earlier about, about say, alcohol or the culture within that. And I think that when it comes to those sorts of sensitivities, do you see as a route to being, um, to, to integration and inclusivity that makes those sorts of things compatible? Or do you think that actually, if you're having a social in your department, or that you're recognizing that therapists are becoming compliant with, say, a doctor's mess culture in a large teaching hospital, mm -hmm. that the, the, the only way to make those things appropriately inclusive and compatible with, say, those that don't drink, or you know, Muslims being the obvious example in terms of the, the sort of data on this, is the only way for that to, to, to be truly inclusive, is to, for it to not take place in those venues and for alcohol to be part of that culture? Or do you see them as being more compatible than I'm describing? I, th I think it's very much about not being frightened to, to ask what's okay. Um, and, and I think that's that comes with, I think why I don't always like the cultural competence label is because it, it's, you know, people do cultural competence training tick. I understand right. everything now, and you can't. You can't yeah. because I mean, I, 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 you know, I guess I come from a, a different culture, but I don't. I'm not familiar with the cultural intricacies of people from other groups or other countries or other religions. So um, I might have some insights for some, but definitely not universal. We can't know it all. But I think if if people ask if that's okay, you know, and I, I had um, before COVID, I was able to have a gathering of my research team and and one of my Research team is is from um, Saudi Arabia, and but I but I, I wanted to make sure that they were comfortable with what they were comfortable in when they were coming over to mine for a barbecue, you know. And so, um, you know, in terms of halal meat, and um, that we will be providing all sorts of things, but are you comfortable with this alcohol there? Um, and that was all fine. We actually had a really lovely evening, but but I, I made the, the the effort to just find out what what was um, what somebody was comfortable with beforehand. And it's not about sort of scrapping everything, but it's just being thoughtful about the people that, that could potentially be excluded and just finding mm. out, you know, it, it might be that some people never, that, that don't have experiences and, and I'll, I'll think that uh, an establishment like a pub is going to be something very different to the reality, you know, so it's it, yeah, it's, sure. it's just sort of be, being being curious and, and being, um, being thoughtful in terms of finding out how people feel about it. Mm. I mean, um, this is the, the example might be a bit too close so feel free to not really want to get into the detail of it but had had that been a problem for, for said member of your team 
would that have would that have meant that you know so was it a precursor to this, this is happening i want you to be comfortable other would you, would have been had there been had that have been something that you know that would be a red line for me if there's if there's alcohol present that said barbecue would that have, would what what behavior changes or or changes to that event would have occurred well i like my team to be sort of very uh, they're quite close and in, in, you know inclusive and so, and so if that was okay for the others that um you know that if we had alcohol it would be somewhere else or we didn't have it at all um but uh, you know i've not i've not had to deal with that scenario to know how others would feel about it in my team but um i it, it's it's if, if there's an opportunity for everybody to join in or albeit modified rather than excluding one person that would be my goal I think one of the things that tickles me when I was first uh, on my well, it was my very first rotation of my first job down in down in Margate in Kent, which was amusing because everyone asked me if they could, if I could provide a translator, which was which was an interesting experience for, for me with my accent down there. And on two occasions, they weren't joking; they genuinely were were needing me to slow right down. But I had a, a team in which uh, I remember putting my uh, first annual leave request in. And, and I was nervous because it was a Christmas one and I was a long way from home and stuff. And I wanted a big chunk of time off at a time where it was going to be busy. And, uh, and, and they chuckled at my nerves because they said, Jack, you can have Christmas off, mate, no problem. But we need Diwali off because the majority of the team, were, you know, they were saying, if you yeah. cover us for Diwali. And it just made me realize that I'd been, you know, I'd not realized just how actually yeah. that level of our diversity was only going to help with those sorts of things because we had yeah. different cultural landmarks of which you know we were all and it was you know a great experience as well for me to, to to see that and to be invited to many of those celebrations uh, later down the line that that year That's, so that that is a, an example i always remember it as being an example of, of how one thing that would have been silly is if we weren't to talk about those sorts of things not just because of yeah. annual leave and, and sharing it but also just that the experiences and, and 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 differences there were really relevant and really interesting and never any, something that needed to become between us yeah yeah uh, and, and that's that's the goal isn't it and i think uh, you know when i finish on the blog, blog we're saying that actually discussing this thing isn't controversial it's not it's not different it's it's where you know it, it's it becomes automatic and there's true equity that's where we want to get to hmm. but I, I i think that it does need to, we do need to be looking wider at what we are doing as a profession how and that that's as individuals influence in the profession but also those leading profession which as i say the cspr are, are trying hard to look at this with their edi strategy um and talking with us quite a lot in the different networks um it's, it's not a, it's not a short game it's it's, it's going to take time but uh, to, to i think what really heartened me with the response to the, the blog is that people are, are are actually really willing to examine um, the profession, examine practice within their own departments, because departments have their own culture as well. You know, I've, I've seen that myself. I'm sure you have. You work in different departments and they all feel a little different, you know, in, in terms of who's there and what's done. And um, <laughs> and uh, it's so it, the fact that people are start willing to examine and, and it's that reflection which helps us to make these realisations and then put those things into place to be able to, to instigate change for the better and it's, it's just it, yeah let's let's see how we go over the next year there's been a lot of change over the last one yeah i think it's interesting because this it's hard isn't it so when we talk about culture and then we talk about sometimes about subculture or professional culture and it's almost like it's these are always layered and and that one yeah. isn't without the other and so 
and something I think is going to be one for for another show. I'm not roping you into another show, but I mean, uh, for, I invite anyone that might be listening, uh, both live or after the fact, in case they want to join me on this. But definitely, it's come up a few times about: is there an inherent optimism to physiotherapy? Do we self-select for that? This certainly something that we're overrepresented as fitness professionals and the and the sort of sporting background that sometimes colours that culture. And and those sorts of features aren't distinct from how that comes across and how that presents um to almost there's like a, a brashness that sometimes comes across with that or a or a boldness or an, or an enthusiasm or an extroversion and and these aren't inherently bad by any stretch but we also can't ignore the fact that if that is on aggregate overrepresented then that is something that interprofessionally it matters it might matter in certain patient circumstances but also what i've just described as attributes might not be applicable in palliative care as they are msk because we and, and sometimes we might select for that sensibly and sometimes we, we might not and we're siloing each other so these conversations need to be had i know that some of the tensions seem to occur when it comes to proposition of solution you know i think that that's yeah. one of the things that's interesting but certainly i think we can find common ground on on analysis um and you know generally it's too important to ignore and your blog definitely spoke into something that's lit the touch paper on this conversation so thank you so much for that um, oh I'm, I'm so sorry we're out of time now but if you could just tell people a little bit about where they can find you we will link to the to the blog uh, but but also yeah. uh, anywhere else that they can find bits from you so i'm on twitter i try to remember what my handle i think i'm peter ramdary on, on twitter and also i'm on instagram and um, dr peter ramdary on there as well oh fantastic well thank you thank you so much i will make sure i Link to the uh, to link to the blog across across social media. Thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. It's been we've been meaning to do this for a while and just get our diaries together. So I'm glad we <laughs> found some time. That's good. It's been a pleasure, Jack. Thank you. Take care. We'll we'll speak get, speak again soon. And uh, make sure if you haven't already to get get reading that blog and get thinking in that direction. That's exactly what it's for. Obviously, we want to hear your thoughts. But similarly, you know, uh, these things are always best chewed over. I would say so. Have a, have a think. Have a reflect. And and, and let us know. Anything you might want to send to us, of course, uh, privately, if you don't want to be, say, tweeting about it and stuff, then we'll pass that on to Gita um, and, and keep that conversation going behind the scenes if needs be. But uh, for now, thanks a lot, and uh, I will see you tomorrow.